Hey, Cracked fans, as winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Crack Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you Gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start. But they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, April 7th. Another fantastic day of clay court tennis in the books as the WTA action in Charleston and Bogota, the ATP action in Marbella, and Cagliari continued, of course. We also had some non-result-oriented news as the French Open announced they are going to be pushing back their start date by one week. They also announced an adjusted broadcast schedule for the upcoming tournament. Want to offer my reaction to that news at the top of the podcast. Then get into all of Wednesday's ATP and WTA level results. Of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast because of the support we get from you listeners, from our Cracked Rackets Patreon family, and of course from our friends at Midwest Sports and FanDuel. You all know the deal. MidwestSports.com, promo code is CR15. You'll let them know we sent you there. You'll get the best equipment at the best prices and a couple of extra benefits by using that promo code MidwestSports.com. The Promo code is CR15. Why am I mentioning FanDuel on the Mini Break Podcast? I feel like a lot of you by now are used to the routine. You know I'm going to thank you, listeners. You know I'm going to thank the Patreon crew, our friends at Midwest Sports. Why am I bringing up FanDuel? Because I've got an incredible offer for all of you Cracked Rackets fans to take advantage of this weekend's Masters event if you are a new user. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to FanDuel.com slash Cracked. You're going to make an initial deposit of at least $10. Then you're going to claim their offer, which is a 20 to 1 odds bet on either Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, or Jordan Spieth. Not to win the tournament, folks. Simply to make the cut. If you're unfamiliar with golf, they get heck, they cut like half the field after the first two rounds of play. Dustin Johnson, your 2020 Masters champion, McElroy, Spieth, both former champions, 20 to 1 odds, all they have to do, finish in the top 75 through those first two rounds, make the cut, 20 to 1 odds means a max bet of $5, going to yield you $100 in return, that's going to give you some equity to then spread across the tennis world, to take advantage of the offer, go to fanduel.com slash cracked, again, make that initial deposit of at least $10, then claim the offer by clicking on the banner 
on the FanDuel homepage, fanduel.com slash cracked. Take advantage of that offer, folks. I'm telling you, that is a winning proposition. I would wager all three are going to end up making the cut, but... I mean, come on. Those are three of the best golfers in the world. Rory, less so of late. This isn't a golf podcast. I'm not going to give you my master's thoughts. I will just say fanduel.com, the promo code, uh, excuse me, fanduel.com slash cracked to take advantage of their offer. With that in mind, let's talk a little tennis here on this mini break podcast. Let's start with the French Open news. Again, this uh, announcement coming from Quentin Moynet and the team at L'Equipe, who are so good at breaking news as it relates to the French Tennis Federation. They announced Roland Garros postponed for a week the Grand Slam will therefore not be contested from May 23rd to June 6th, but from May 30th to June 13th. Why is that the case? A couple of reasons. A, right now, France not going through the best COVID experience. Their numbers are spiking. They're not as far along with vaccine distribution as we are here in the United States. By the way, for those of you wondering at home, I got my first dose of the vaccine here uh, today. I went the Moderna route. That was what was available to me. Trust the scientists, folks. Go get vaccinated. That way, we can all attend tennis tournaments come the summer, come the U.S. Open and the American hardcourt swing. But in France, because of the spiking COVID numbers, as of right now, they wouldn't be able to enjoy the luxury, the you know rambunctious French crowd at the French Open right now, and that's not something the French Tennis Federation is able to do and willing to do because, let's be honest, financially, they took a bit of a bath last year. They didn't bring in the revenue they're accustomed from the major event, and then you know, they want to be able to do that this year. They want to be able to have full crowds or at least closer to full capacity. And, you know, by delaying a week, they buy themselves time. They buy themselves additional, you know, whether it be uh, a, an, an availability of the vaccine, become there becomes a plethora in the availability of the vaccine. More people get vaccinated or the numbers begin to settle as we head towards summer and it becomes warmer outside. All those additional factors that would allow more people to attend this year's French Open. Their belief is by, and you know, they just built a brand new stadium at Roland Garros, and so they want to show that stadium off. They want to be able to have fans in the seats. They won't be able to do that in, in their approximation, or at least the approximation of the French sports minister. Excuse me. And by the way, why we don't have a sports Someone, Sportsar, the Secretary of Sport here at the United States, given what proportion uh, sport uh, sports are, professional athletics are, even amateur athletics are, to our economy. But that's a discussion for another time. Anyways, they postponed the event for an, for a week. What is the impact of that postponement? Well, if you look at the ATP calendar right now, there are events scheduled. Uh, you know, immediately that would be June sixth, I believe, to June thirteenth would be the dates that are impacted. You look on the ATP calendar again uh, in that June sixth uh, to June thirteenth ranked. Right now, there's the grass event in the Netherlands. There's the grass event in Germany uh, in Stuttgart. That's the Mercedes Cup and the Labima Open on the WTA side as of right now what would be scheduled for that week you've got uh the uh, same deal you've got the event in uh nottingham and you've got the event in the netherlands and so you know those are 
two grass events, respectively, on the men's and women's side that weren't able to be played last year. And under no circumstances will those events want to give up their dates, want to push things back because, you know, it's just not available to be pushed back. All of the weeks, all of the tournaments that weren't able to play last year that are looking forward to the opportunity to run again this summer— they're not going to adjust for the French Open, but their fields are going to be impacted. All of those players still alive in the French Open or perhaps players who suffered early exits and after a long clay court season just want a week off, they're going to skip those events as they always would have, but perhaps even more so now um, given everything been pushed back a week and they won't have, you know, if you lost first week at the French Open, you would have had that second week uh, to hang out a little bit before the grass court season got underway. You would have had a week to adjust that week for players to train on the grass to transition their game to grass court conditions. That week is taken away. And what is this decision indicative of? It's the lack of coordination, the lack of discussion and collaboration between all of the competing entities in tennis, the French Tennis Federation, the USTA, the LTA, which is the British, British Tennis Association, the ATP, the WTA, all of the entities, the ITF, that be, can't get on the same schedule because they're all in competition with one another. That's the inherent flaw of the structure right now in professional tennis. It behooves of the French Tennis Federation to have fans at their event. That's why they're moving the event back a week. And for the record, as a human being, you can understand that decision. I, if I was a member, you know, if I lived in Paris, if I lived in France, I would want to attend the French Open. I would be like, let's go. Like by them pushing back a week, hopefully people stay inside. Everyone wears masks. Everyone does their thing. People start to get vaccinated. We'll get our numbers to a point where it would be appropriate for us to have larger crowds at the French Open. If you're anyone else though you're like no what are we doing here like if you're the city open you're like no don't force us to push you know i know that's a month down the road but they would be impacted obviously all of the grass events in the immediate future would say absolutely not but you know again there's just not a week to spare in professional tennis, in the professional tennis calendar, particularly when all these events are so itching to get back on the calendar after not being played last summer. And so it's a fascinating conundrum. I mean, it's an ongoing problem. You saw, hopefully, Alize Cornet's reaction. If you didn't, she, after her upset victory today over Elisa Merton, sat down with Steve Weissman on Tennis Channel, and he told her, hey, the French Open is getting pushed back a week, and her immediate reaction was, no, no. And, you know, she goes on to say that she thinks, you know, this speaks to, A, the mess that is the uh sport uh, what is it, the sport minister in France the lack of coordination again the the mess that is professional tennis administration and it's hard to disagree with her because this close to the event to announce that you're pushing back a week it just feels like a someone that be the powers that be should have been like no you cannot do that you can host your event without fans we understand that but you cannot push your event back a week there is just not room on the calendar for that to happen of course the ATP and the WTA can't afford to tell the French Open no because that's one of their grand slams that's one of their four golden geese that pays for everything that the tours want to do it speaks to the disproportionate amount of power these grand slams hold it speaks to again the lack of coordination the structure flaws right now in professional tennis I mean from a tennis standpoint does it matter no like it's an additional week are people going to pull out of a grand slam no um does this 
screw up the training for all these players by pushing things back a week? No. Like, there are no tennis ramifications other than the schedule for a bunch of players are screwed up. Those are the tennis ramifications. It just adds an additional layer of stress, an additional layer of confusion. And, you know, confusion is death in any sort of uh, organization. You know, again, even if there's a decision you disagree with, certainty is the name of the game. If you disagree with something, but you understand the parameters you're operating with, you can come to terms with that. If there's constant flux and things are always changing and there's no certainty, it's impossible to uh, to organize, to to accomplish anything under those circumstances. And so, again, this is just another example of that. I'm done repeating myself. That's the big announcement. Of course, the French Open also announced following uh, the French Open, the RMC Sport article, Roland Garros, the 10-night sessions exclusively reserved for men published today. The FFT, French Tennis Federation, would like to underscore that at Roland Garros, women and men enjoy an equal footing notably when it comes to prize money. In this vein, two women's matches and two men's matches are to be programmed daily on court Philippe Chatrier, which is their center court. The day's play will therefore consist of three-day matches and one-night match. The fourth match, the match of the day, which will be played from 9 p.m., could be either a men's or women's match, depending on the order of play decided upon by the head tournament umpire. In other words, they screwed up last year when they didn't have any of the women's matches on the center courts. They are trying to acknowledge that. Now, it's just something for us to monitor, I suppose, as the tournament progresses. It was silly. Last year, again, that's one of those stupid, unforced errors that aren't necessary by the French Tennis Federation. They're looking to make that up. Uh, Time will tell whether they are able to do just that. Those were your big French Open announcements. Just a quick note on the ATP Challenger calendar. Uh, A revised calendar is out. There are now back-to-back events in Ecuador the last two weeks of uh, of April. You look at the events we're going to have. We have two this week in Croatia, in Portugal. Next week, we're in Croatia, Serbia and uh, the USA, where we're in Orlando after that. We're in Italy, Ecuador, and Tallahassee. Again, the USA. We're in Rome, uh, Italy the next week, followed by Salinas, Ecuador, and then in Ostrava in the Czech Republic. So the numbers 2, 3, 3, 3. That means we've got 11 challengers this month of April. Not too bad for all of us tennis fans to enjoy, but... A rare non-result-oriented segment here at the mini break. Felt like I hadn't done one of those in a while. There are still, you know, what are the financial ramifications of playing this season amidst a pandemic? What is going on in the ATP political world, the PTPA, Pospisil blowing up at a match, the WTA, and what happened to a tennis, you know, one merged tennis and Tennis United, all of those different storylines. We're monitoring all of them in the background here at Crack Rackets, but there hasn't been... Any monumental news, any, you know, momentous breakthrough that deserve a full podcast, I'm going to text Brett McCormick of Sports Business Journal. We'll try and get him on over the course of the next month to just talk about, you know, any reflections, any noticeable trends from the first third of the 2021 season. But those those are your big off-court developments. Do you guys want me to talk about Mofis and Svitolina getting engaged? Like, I... I that's not the sort of thing I'm good at talking about relationships. I mean, I think you all know my longest term relationship is with the game of tennis. And so, yeah, 
awesome. I'm I'm pro athlete marriages. I think super athlete babies are the way of the future. I say it all the time. We went from the Homo erectus to the Homo sapien. I think the next species is the Homo lebronis. I think LeBron and Serena Williams owe it to humanity to have a child to see if that child can fly because that child could, you know, again, I love Alexis Ohanian and Serena Williams as well. I'm saying for science, for humanity, there needs to be a LeBron Serena Williams uh, child. Anyways, these are the tangents. This is why I don't talk about those sorts of things because inevitably I'm going to get myself in trouble by saying something stupid. So with that in mind, let's transition and talk about the tennis we saw on Wednesday. And let's start in Charleston because, you know, after a quiet Tuesday— All of the matches on Tuesday, straight set results. Charleston woke up here on Wednesday. We had upsets galore, three set battles, fantastic, high-quality green clay tennis. Start with the biggest upset on the day. Number two seed Sonia Kennan knocked off as she falls in three sets to fellow American Excuse me here, I've got something in my throat. Fellow American uh, in her match, Lauren Davis. You look, Davis, a 4-6-6-3-6-4 winner. She raced out to an early break lead in the first. Kennan was able to get that break back. They traded, you know, four straight breaks, two each to start the second set. But, you know, Lauren Davis in this match, she made this match a track meet. And Kennan is someone who likes to throw in drop shots, likes to play to the angles, likes to go cross-court, cross-court, cross-court with more and more angle on her shots to open up the down the line. And then you expect her to do that. That's actually when she throws in the cross-court drop shot. And, you know, again, she plays a very measured game style but she just couldn't hurt Davis frequently enough on this day. Davis, you know, as the match progressed, was able to track down and was able to anticipate those Kennan drop shots. Both of them in this match struggled to break serve. Sonia Kennan uh, faced 20 break points in this match. Now, she saved 20 of, uh, 12 of them, but, you know, again, in that second set, I believe she was broken three times in her, I think, five service games, you know, maybe four service games, still uh, broken three times again in this second uh, in the third set as well and for the match Sonia Kennan was only 47 of 99 on service points excuse me 47 of 96 for a 49 percent conversion rate you know her serve just wasn't able to penetrate the court and from there Davis was able to take control of the rally whether it was a big return down the line or cross court to really just assert herself as the aggressor in the point even go for a winner or whether it was deep down the center with her return to just cut off all of the angles, limit what Sonia Kennan could do. And then with that second ball, that's when Davis would go to the open spots in the court, open space. And look, Kennan is still finding her rhythm. She had surgery a month ago and, you know, she's still clearly not moving as well as she will come the Australian Open, come uh, more match toughness. But Look, Lauren Davis doesn't have the biggest weapon. She's, you know, a generous 5-1, 5-2 maybe, and she moves extraordinarily well. I suppose her biggest weapon is her movement, her ability to beat you in the spot, to the spot, her ability to bait you into hitting an approach shot you couldn't so that she can use her speed to track that ball down, hit the passing shot. And again, she did such a good job dealing with the junk. Yeah, I say junk in a, an affectionate way. The, you know, variety of looks is what I mean when I say junk. The junk that Kennan threw at her, she did a really good job handling it. Now, you know, she wasn't exactly spectacular on her service points. She was 45 of 86 for the match. That 45 of 86, only a 52% conversion rate, but she was good enough. Again, she 
stayed the course. She stayed disciplined. She didn't get down on herself. She probably should have won that first set. Kennan probably should have won that second set in terms of their quality of play, particularly at the beginning of the set. But, you know, again, Davis just stuck around. She kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And you look for Lauren Davis, who, 27 years old, another October birthday. I swear to God, everyone, I want to make sure this is the date. Garbine Muguruza is also born on October 9th. Is she in October 9th? No, she's October 8th. Yeah, her and Sarah Cerebas Tormo are, are October 8th. Lauren Davis is October 9th. I think there was another October 9th I saw not too long ago. Anyways, October, the month of tennis players. You know who else was born in October? He's got two thumbs, and he's talking into the mic right now. This guy. Anyways, for Lauren Davis, 9-13 and 13 in her last 52 weeks, currently at number 79 in the ranking. Her best results have come here this year as she, you know, it, she made a quarterfinal at the 100K in Charleston to end the last season. She then makes quarterfinals after coming through qualifying in Guadalajara, wins a match in Monterey, and now here wins over Brangle and Kennan to make the round of 16. You look for Davis with her victory. She's now 9-35 against top 20 opponents. 5-11, though. That's not bad. Against top 10 opponents, she gets her first victory over a top 10 opponent since the 2019 Wimbledon when she now Knocked off Angelique Kerber in three sets. I mean, again, you look for Lauren Davis, uh, some of these stats. She's now 29-30 and 30 in her career in tour-level clay court matches. You compare that to her career in hard court matches where she's 135 and 120. This is a big victory for her. I mean, she's only made two career quarterfinals on clay, one of them in Charleston back in 2015. She's going to have an opportunity to make a third quarterfinal. She's going to take on Coco Goff in the next round. Goff was spectacular yesterday, I believe, in her victory over Perankova. And I don't think Goff played again today. Did Coco Goff play again today? Let's look up and down. Oh, she did play today. Three-set victory for her over Samsonova, 4-6-6-1-6-4. I forgot how fast they're playing this event in Charleston. But it's going to be a really fun match. It's going to be a really physical match for sure. Two players who moved so well on the clay. But for Lauren Davis, who has struggled of late, this is a much-needed victory for her into the round of 16. You know, again, you look for Sonia Kennan now, 16-10 and 10 in her last 52 weeks, of course. So that's since the restart in August. That includes a run to the final of the French Open. She only played four events at the end of last season. Lost first round to Cornet at the Western Southern Open, round of 16 at the U.S. Open. Good wins over Fernandez, Jabor, and honestly, Vic Meyer as well before she lost to Mertens. An 0-0 loss to Azarenka, the first round of Rome. Who could forget that she followed that up by making the final of Roland Garros? You look at her record here, just 2021 specifically. She's 7-6, and six, but the losses aren't that bad. Lost to Sakari in Abu Dhabi. Sakari just made the semifinals of Miami. I've talked about her enough of late. That's fine. Lost to Muguruza in one of the Australian Open warm-ups. Muguruza's been the second, third best player here in the 2021 season. That's fine. The Kanepi loss at the Australian Open wasn't great, but Kaya Kanepi has played some really good ball of late. She's got the sort of weapons to, you know, it's just a bad matchup for Kennan. The last three losses, Gadecki in three sets in that post-Australian Open second week then. Three-set loss to Jabour, three-set loss to Davis. Those losses aren't great, 
But again, context is key. She's dealt with some injuries. She's still finding her rhythm. Anyone who's selling their stock on Sonya Kennan, I'll buy it from you. I mean, you can keep in mind she's a Grand Slam champion. She's made an additional final. She's up to number four in the world. She's only 22 years old, folks. It's a lot of good tennis ahead still for Sonia Kennan. It's so easy to fall in love with the Sviantex, with the Osakas, with the even new class of like the Kostyuks and the Tossins of the world. You know, Andrescu obviously making her return. Sonia Kennan's been really good now for about four straight years, like top 15 good. Uh, obviously, last season was the perfect season. Last season, everything broke her way. And, you know, to expect her to maintain that level of result, that's going to be tough because she doesn't have as big of weapons as some of the other women uh, currently making their ascension to the top of the women's game. But she's as tough of an out as you're going to find. Even when she isn't playing her best tennis, her last four matches, she's one in three. All four of them were three set affairs. So she's always right there. She's always going to find ways. As soon as she gets that confidence back, she'll be right where she needs to be. So again, if you're selling the stock, I will buy it from you still. The story, great result for Lauren Davis. Great result for Paula Bedosa Gibert as well as she knocks off number five seed Belinda Bench at six two six seven six one. Bedosa Gibert served for the match up five four in the second set. Had a couple of match points. Benchich kept swinging as she always does, and for me, that's why I enjoy her so much because you know, win or lose, she's going to play her game. She's going to go for her shot. She's going to be the aggressor. She knows she's not the best mover, and that's why she plays on her front foot so frequently. But my God, like Paula Bedosa Jabert, what an athlete. You know, she's in that Cerebes Tormo conversation in terms of some of the best movers. Uh, you know, only 23 years old, currently ranked number 71 in the world. You look for Bedosa Jabert, who I believe tested positive for COVID right uh, before heading to the Australian Open or was on the COVID positive flight and so was in the super quarantine. Yeah, I mean, you know, 2021 or, you know, since the restart, she's 16 and 10. That includes uh, runs to semifinals in Istanbul, where she lost to Jeannie Bouchard. Round of 16 in Roland Garros, she lost to Sigamund. Round of 16 Abu Dhabi, she lost to Kudermatova in three sets. Her losses post Australian Open, she lost to Tossin in the Lyon semifinals. She lost to Ostapenko in St. Petersburg. She lost three sets to Jabour in Miami. Miami. Now she's beaten Gracheva and Bencic in three set matches here to start in Charleston. You look for Bedosa Jaber, you know, very early still in her career, only 23 years old, and her ceiling probably isn't as high as the group of players I just talked about with Kennan and Shiantek and Andrescu and Bencic and Sabalenka and Mertens, even in Conteve. But she could be a top 50 player for a very long time. Just moves so well serve under the surface. She's solid off of both wings. Solid first serve. And here in this match, you know, she wins 79% of her first serve points. Only 32% of her second serves. But seemed to find a first serve whenever she needed. Saved 11 of the 14 break points she faced. Converted 7 of her 13 break point chances, I believe, won uh, about 50% of her return points in this match. And again, she did a really good job of 
I would say keeping the ball with her return deep center of the court or going to be the aggressor, going big down the line and just taking the open space Benchic was giving her. And she did a great job tracking down Benchic's first aggressive ball. And even on the points where, you know, she barely tracked it down and Benchic had an easy put away with that second ball, it just sent the message to Benchic that I'm making everything hard for you today. And, you know, when she had her opportunity, she attacked the open space. Again, I really like the way she can be aggressive off of both wings. I like like her serve. I think she's just a really good player. She's rock solid, solid victory for her. She outplayed Benchich today. She earned the victory in three sets. In terms of your other upsets on the day in Charleston, seeds that went down. Alia Tamjanovic knocked off 17 seed Marie Buskova in a match as expected that went three sets. 4 6 7 5 7 5 4 Tamjanovic. Alize Cornet, a 7 5 6 3 victory over Elisa Mertens. You keep in mind uh, for uh, Elise, uh, for Alize Cornet, excuse me, she's 14 and 11 in her last 52 weeks, but in her career, 131 and 89, a 60% win percentage on clay versus a 54% win percentage in about her 400 matches played on hard courts. She's back on the surface she enjoys, and she moves so well on the dirt, and she's just such, she moves the ball around the court so well. She just, Again, it it it's I, you forget how critical movement is in women's clay court tennis, and Cornet checks off all of the boxes you would want from a physical standpoint. She played a really good match against Elisa Mertens. Again, am I nervous for Elisa Mertens heading into the clay court season? Absolutely not. Today had more to do about Cornet than it did about Mertens, and thus she earns the victory. I believe those were all of your Oh, one other seed, two other seeds upset on the day. See, I forgot the two All-American battles because they hurt my heart so much to watch unfold. Amanda Nisimova was up big. On Shelby Rogers, I think it was 6-1-4-1 before she fell on the clay, injured herself, had to take an injury timeout. Now, Rogers, credit to her for continuing to fight. She ultimately earns a 1-6-7-5-6-4 victory. I hope Anisimova can stay healthy because when she clicks, when she is healthy, that power tennis, you remind yourself, oh, yeah, that's why everyone got so excited about her in 2019 because with her size, her length, and her power, you know, as she continues to become a better and better mover, and she's never going to be a top mover, but she can probably be in the Petra Kvitova range, maybe even a little bit better with the power tennis she can play. She can hit anyone off the court, but you know who's in full control, full confidence right now with their game? Shelby Rogers. That serve, the explosion off of both wings, her willingness to be the aggressor in the big moments, her confidence in general, she's been spectacular. There's a reason now you look in the live WTA ranking, Shelby Rogers. Up to, I believe, inside the top 50 and certainly at a new, new career high, actually, with this victory of number 46 in the world twenty-eight for the 28-year-old. I mean, well-deserved. She has been that good since the tour restarted uh, in August. You look via Tennis Abstract's ELO rating, Shelby Rogers right now, uh, currently on ELO, uh, ranked the number 38 player in the world. Yeah, that that feels right. Top 50, top 40 range, perhaps even seeded come a Grand Slam, come the U.S. Open. She has been that good of late. You look, again, since the tour restarted in August 22-10, and 10, uh, you know, she's gotten to round of 16 at the Australian Open, quarterfinals at the U.S. Open, quarterfinals in the Australian Open, warm-up, quarterfinals in Adelaide, semifinals in Lexington. 
she has been that good, and the ranking is starting to reflect that fact. Shout out to Shelby Rogers again. It sucks what happened to Amanda Anisimova, but was a really good. You know, she continues to be very, very good. She might be, you know, again as good as any American woman right now. Her Pagula Brady, they're all playing so well uh, right now. It's a really fun time to be a fan of American women's tennis. Hopefully, Sloane Stevens can rejoin that conversation as well. I wish we could have a world where, like, you told Sloane Stevens and Madison Keys they were always going to be playing one another, and that way it would evoke their best tennis in every match. This is the best tennis I've seen Sloane Stevens play perhaps since 2019. She was moving well. She was moving her forehand around the court well. She was hitting confidently, decisively, and she beats Madison Keys 6-4, advance to the round of 16. Again, those were your seated upsets, your other results. Barty, straight set winner today over Misaki Doi. I mentioned the golf three-set victory. Kudermatova ends the run of hometown girl Emma Navarro, four and four. Kavinovich, three-set victory for her over Layla Fernandez. Jabour, straight sets over Baptiste. Nara, straight sets over Osigwe ever after Von Drusova has to withdraw from the event due to an illness. Kamala Georgi also had to withdraw uh, due to, uh, again, an illness as well. Your last result, shout out to Katie McNally, who goes for broke, doesn't matter the surface. She can be so aggressive with her return, her comfort moving forward, her comfort hitting the big serve, serving and volleying, and just, I really like her game. There's a reason you look for Katie McNally. She's already a top 50 doubles player in the world, and, you know, her last 52 weeks since the restart in singles, she's 9-11, and which isn't great, although it's primarily been WTA-level events, but this is someone who's a former Junior French Open singles finalist and Junior French Open doubles champion, and, you know, you look in her career for Katie McNally at in tour level matches on clay she's 3 and 1 in her last 52 weeks 3 and 2 overall in her career but you look 24 and 21 in total on the surface I just think her serve works. I think she's, again, she she hits behind you. She takes time away from you. She really puts pressure on your movement on the surface. This is a really good victory for her. So, you know, Sevastova clearly got frustrated. Sevastova and multiple points were sending balls flying across the court. But, you know, McNally did enough. She became the aggressor, and Sevastova got a little bit passive. And, you know, you just have to take advantage of that passivity. A fantastic result for McNally. She advances to the round of 16. You look at tomorrow's round of 16 matches. Woo! We have a fun day on our hands. Muguruza, Putin, Seva, uh, Bardi versus Rogers. Your two headline, I would say, matches. You've also got Tamjanovic, Stevens, Davis, Goff, Kavinovic, Kavinovic versus Kavitova, Nara versus Kudermatova, Cornet, Jabour, and McNally versus Bedosa, Gibert. I like all of those matches. I mean, sincerely, again, Bardi, Rogers, Putin, Seva, Muguruza. Those were built in a factory for my enjoyment. So it should be a really fun day in Charleston. Going to quickly run through Bogota because, crazy to think, we've already lost our top four seeds in the event. And in fact, I believe you look at the draws, only the number five and seven seeds remain as of, uh, I believe it was today, Stephanie Vogel knocking out Shui Zhang, uh, excuse me, Sai Sai Zhang, the number one seed, six four six one. It was Nuria uh, Parizaz Diaz, a 7-6, 2-6, 6-1 victory over Arang Saruz. It was 
uh, Lara Arupa Barena continuing her success in Bogota, three-set win over Jasmine Paolini, and then it was, I believe, Victoria Tamova with a win over Yafan Wang, 6-3-6-3. Your other result on the day, Sarah Arani advances 4-4 four and four over both of us. Sarah Arani might be the favorite now to win the event. Now, you look for tomorrow, you've got Zidancic versus Gato Montecone, you've got Osario Serrano versus Martin Sova, those are your five and seven seeds in action. You've also got Seagull versus Tan in your three singles round of 16 matches, but like, I mean, again, by experience, by pedigree, Sarah Arani's got the most left in the draw. That's a crazy thing to say, given it's freaking 2021, but that's your action in Bogota. Let's now flip gears to talk about the ATP Tour in Marbella. You had four round of 16 matches, all fairly straightforward. Taylor Fritz, Jan Leonard Struff, the two and five seeds respectively. Straight set victories over Andre Martin and Liam Brody. I watched the Fritz match, two and six win. I believe Martin served for the second set twice, up 5-4 and 6-5. Fritz was able to get breaks both times. I mean, Fritz looks so uncomfortable from a movement standpoint still on the dirt, but the explosiveness of his serve, the explosiveness of his first ball, it can work. Like, it it can work. The better the opponent, the more difficult it's going to be. And again, you know, the amount of times he stumbled on the red clay, I know it's early in the clay court season, but, you know, not great, Bob. Uh, But... I mean, you look at the numbers for Fritz in this match, I suppose fairly clean performance when 68% of his first serve points saves five of the eight break points he faced, goes five of eight on his break point chances, you know, wins, uh, I believe, in total 49% of his return points, 32 of 65 versus of only 43% for Martin. A pretty close match for Taylor Fritz, and you look for Fritz now. He's sixteen and se- uh, seventeen and sixteen in his career in clay court matches at the ATP level. Uh, now, in terms of you know, he's going to play a quarterfinal match here. He's only made the semifinals of a clay court event twice in his career. Once it was back in Houston in 2018. The other time it was Lyon back in 2019. He's going to face Alias Bedene tomorrow, and that is uh, Bedene, I believe, is the favorite via tennis abstract predictions of their formulas for who's going to win the event in Cagliari. Speaks to, by the way, what a toss-up that event is. I want to talk about one of the biggest toss-ups and just a funny note from the odds makers in a second. But for Fritz, again, 17 and uh, 17 and 16 now in his career in ATP-level clay court matches. He's competing in his fourth career quarterfinal on the dirt, has the opportunity to make his third semifinal uh, tomorrow, or not tomorrow, I believe, in two days. In Cagliari. By the way, Fritz 16 and 14 in his last 52 weeks, currently ranked number 30, the top ranked American in the world. Certainly going to have opportunity to pick up clay court points as you look back at his 20, uh, not 2020, excuse me, his 2019 season. His best result on clay, he made a semifinal in Lyon. He qualified for Madrid in Rome. He's going to get in on his ranking now. He made a round of 16 in Monte Carlo. So not a ton of the points to defend. If he can get what? If he goes 6-4 and four or like 7-5 and five during the course of the clay court season, he probably gains enough points to take another jump in the ranking. So again, Taylor Fritz, 2-6 and six winner. Jan Leonard Struff, 4-2 uh, and two winner over Liam Brody. Brody's been great of like just, you know, again, doesn't really have big enough weapons to hurt a guy like Struff. Crazy to think you, you 
talk about a guy like Struff who, you know, six foot four, six foot five profiles as a big hitter, profiles as a guy you'd think would be better on a faster surface like a hard court or a grass, but no, you look in his career, his highest win percentage has come on clay. You look uh for his career again, he's I believe, uh, well, actually, by win percentage at the ATP level, he's won 46% of his clay court matches, 48% of his hard court matches. You look for him overall, he's won 63% of his clay court matches versus about 55 of his hard court matches percent-wise. Yeah, I mean, look for Struff. He struggled of late. 15 of 17 in his last 52. You look here. 2021 specifically, he's 7-7, seven and seven, just hasn't quite found his rhythm, but wins back-to-back matches here, again, over Sosa, over Brody, has a very winnable match against Basilishvili in the quarterfinals. You know, played good power tennis, just uh, Brody didn't have big enough weapons, Struff took the initiative, took the ball early, moved forward to the net, played a clean match, and so he advances in straights. I mentioned Alias Bedeni, he earns a 4-6 victory over Gerasimov, Basilishvili, a three-set win over Kovalik. That was Wednesday's matches. Thursday, you've got Laszlo Jir versus John Millman, uh, you've got Jill Simone versus Lorenzo Sinego, Yannick Hanifman taking on Marco Cecchinato. Those are are all entertaining matches, and they're not even the headliner. Dan Evans taking on Lorenzo Musetti. Musetti, a minus 400 money line favorite entering the match. Now, I wrote about this on our website, crackedrackets.com, and for our friends at OutKick. I think Evans is like 4 and 15 in his career in clay court matches. Meanwhile, Musetti beat both Wawrinka and Nishikori on clay last year, despite being only 18 years old and has won a couple of clay court, or has won a clay court challenger and has had success on the clay. What do he win his match? 0 and 1 in his first round. I mean, in theory, Clay's his best surface. Clay's Evans worse. Like, yeah, I can understand why Musetti would be a favorite. Minus 400's a lot. And I can't wait to see how he deals with the variety that Evans is going to throw at him. And there are times when the uh, Musetti forehands will sit short in the court and Evans is going to pounce on that ball. Now, Musetti's got fantastic athleticism and it's almost like he thrives most in the outer thirds of a Clay court. But that's going to be a really fun match. A lot of slice, a lot of one-handed backhand love. Should be a fantastic day of action in Cagliari. That Hanifman kick serve, by the way, to the Chechenata one-handed backhand in itself makes that match. That individual granular thing makes that match worth watching. That's the action from Marbella, uh, or excuse me, from Cagliari in Marbella. Uh, we had four round of 16 matches take place. You look, no up, or excuse me, only one upset on the day. Top seed Pablo Carina Busta, a 6-3 and three winner over Mario Villela Martinez. I will say for Martinez in the match, uh, he moved extraordinarily well. He made the match a track meet, and he forced Carina Busta to put him away. It's a credit to Carina Busta. He was able to do it, uh, but that was a really fun match. And so, again, very physical tennis. Welcome back to the clay court season. Uh, Ramos Vinolas, three-set win over Barrancas. Fantastic contrast of styles. Barrancas is willing to be the aggressor, take balls on the rise, take them early, regardless of surface is what makes him so fun. If he was six foot two, he would be a top 10 player in the world. I have no doubt about that, but just too much from Ramos Vinoles as he grinds the match out in three. Sun Wu Kwan 
big victory for him on the clay courts. And you look for Quan, he's gotten his first two clay court ATP level victories of his career these, this week in Marbella. He's only played three career ATP level matches. First round last year, Roland Garros, he lost to Benoit Paire. He's beaten Holger Rune and Fasundo Bagnus. Those are two high level challenger players on the clay court. So for him to beat them, in my opinion, proves he should be at the ATP level. I mean, now he's got a really tough test against Pablo Carreno Busta, but I mean, for Sun Wukwan, if you don't have big weapons, his speed, his firepower from the baseline, he's going to take it to you. And he's just, I'm a big fan. I really enjoy watching his game was a dominant performance for him over Fasundo Bagnus and then Norbert Gambos. 5-7-7-6-7-6 victory over Federico Del Bonis. That looks exactly like you'd expect a Federico Del Bonis victory to look. That was your Wednesday action in Marbella. In terms of the action set for tomorrow, oh, do we have a day on our hands? Davidovich Fokina versus Ivashka. Sign me up for that. Gianluca Majer versus Kasparud. A rematch of the, the first round of last year's, I want to say, Rio event where Majir ended up beating Kasparud, beating Dominic Team, making the final of the event. Sign me up for that match. Kasparud, one of my dark horses, entering the clay court season. How good is Carlos Alcaraz? Is he ready to make the round of 16 at the French Open this year? There are people out there who would argue yes, and he is certainly, in my opinion, the favorite tomorrow against Feliciano Lopez, but it's going to be interesting to see how he handles the heavy, aggressive, heavily, you know, move-to-the-net-centric move game, keep-you-on-your-back-foot uh, pressure that Lopez applies to his opponents. That'll be a fun one. And then, Halminu Munar versus Fabio Fognini. Yes, yes. Yes, more of that, please. But that is your action at the ATP and WTA level from Wednesday and your preview of Thursday's matches. Of course, if you have missed any of the action over the past few weeks on the ATP or WTA Tour, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackRackets.com. On this week's mini break, excuse me, Great Shot podcast, I was joined by Jeff Sackman of Tennis Abstract to review the first third of the 2021 season from a statistical standpoint, talk about the outliers, talk about the top performers, etc., etc. On Wednesday, I was joined by uh, David Gertler to talk about the past week of ATP Challenger Tour action, name our all-stars for the month of March. And then, of course, on Thursday, I'm joined by Matt Stokowiak and Chris Halliors to break down another fascinating week of college tennis results on the Mini Break Podcast, as you are listening to now. And as you likely know, we break down the day-in, day-out results happening on tour. So if you've missed any day that you're curious about, I likely talked about your favorite player. So be sure to go check out any episode you've missed. Of course, if you want to hear from some of the players we're talking about, go check out our Cracked Interviews Podcast. And of course... Like, rate, subscribe, review to all of the shows if you can on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your Cracked Rackets podcasts. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flicker and Daniel Westoff for the of an ending job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at midwest sports and FanDuel. go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 and remember to take advantage of FanDuel's limited time masters offer just go to fanduel.com slash cracked and get signed up today but with that in mind for super producers fligner and westoff our friends at midwest sports and FanDuel, and all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone <laughs>